We're Missio Phoenix, a community of God's people learning to live in God's ways for the sake of our city. Good morning, Missio Day family. I'm glad to be sharing with you the message this morning as we work through the book of Hebrews. Now, as Chris mentioned, these, um, these passages aren't light. Um, it's going to be uh, some, some heavy work. You know, I, I have some 5 and 20 pound uh, weights at my house, and this isn't that. This is going with Anthony and Jill to Chuck Wall at CrossFit. <laughs> Or uh, with, uh, with Brian on Saturday mornings at his house for, for CrossFit. You know, this is holding the 50-pound the kettlebells and using those. And that's usually only Brian and Steve get to use those. So. <laughs> but uh, the, like Chris said, these verses have been um, really um, interpreted differently by, by people in the past who are, are Christ-centered, who are Christ followers. And um, they, they're a little complex, and so... Um, I didn't realize that, as Chris said, when I first picked them. There was a part at the end of the verses that talk about someone being sluggish in their faith, and that really resonated with me. Um, Amy um, doesn't agree with me on this. She wouldn't agree, but, but I have more than one um, lazy bone in my body. And uh, back in high school, I used to actually, um, on the weekends, I would play a lot of video games. And I'd wake up in the morning, I'd play video games, some time would pass, It'd be time to go to sleep. <laughs> and uh, so I did, did that quite a bit. And then also in my senior year of high school, and you can actually look this up, under my, my senior picture, there was a quote. And the quote said, why do today what you can put off until tomorrow? So um, if you could just, um, I just ask for your grace and mercy this morning as we work through these difficult passages. And even I was challenged by them, I was challenged um, what I thought uh, as I worked through these passages, so um, as the Holy Spirit led in that preparation. So let's pray. Dear, dear Lord, I just pray that um, uh, you allow the, um, your spirit to move through this body this morning. Lord, I pray that you help me to speak clearly, um, um, that you're glorified well this morning. Lord, I pray that you open up the, the hearers this morning um, so that they can receive uh, your gospel in a clear way, Lord, and we can respond uh, rightly to you, Jesus. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. So for those who don't know, again, uh, I think everyone knows me here. I'm John. I, I help lead a missional community with my wife, Amy. And we've been going here to Missio Day for several years now, and I've been really blessed by Chris and Anthony as their family's um, uh, ministry here, and I've been really blessed by that. And I'm honored to be in this space this morning, uh, getting to share the message with you. Um, so we're going to be unpacking a little bit in Hebrews, and we're going to continue to learn. And I want you to help me out here. We're going to be learning about who God is. We're going to be learning about what God has done. Yes, we're going to be learning about who we are in light of that. Yeah, and we're going to be learning about what we now get to do. Yeah, because of it, as living out his mission. That's great. You guys, I think just knowing that is really a, a testament to where your heart posture is in, in listening here on, on Sundays and at Missio. So we're actually going to be able to skip a lot of this. This is great. So, <laughs> but, uh, um, so let's look at uh, what we've been learning in Hebrews so far. This is a letter from an unknown uh, first century Jewish Christian. He's someone who's been traveling 
who has spent time developing a pastoral relationship with a group of Christ followers in which he is sending the letter. The letter reads very much like a sermon, uh, meant to be read all at once to encourage the hearers to persist in their professed faith in Christ in the midst of ongoing persecutions they face. And we have been learning about Christ's superiority in Hebrews as the better message, the better human, builder, rest, priest, And today we're going to be looking at Christ as the better instruction. The verses we'll be looking at serve as a warning to those listening. It might be difficult to listen to at times. And my my prayer has been that we look at the scriptures together as it forces us to look deeply into our own hearts and heed the warning that has been passed down through the millennia to the ends of the earth here in Phoenix, Arizona. And as Tim Mackey of the Bible Project reflected on these warning passages, he says the warnings are going to make you uncomfortable. And that's kind of the point. Welcome to Missio Dei Phoenix. <laughs> uh, so let's read from Hebrews 5, 11 through 6, 12. About this, I'll give you a second to look it up here. All right. About this, we have much to say, and it is hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have the powers of discernment trained by constant practice to discern good from evil. Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again a foundation or repentance from dead works and of faith toward God and of instruction about washings, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permits. For it is impossible in the case of those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift, who have shared in the Holy Spirit, and have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the age to come, that have fallen away to restore them again to repentance, since they are crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm and holding him up to contempt. For land that has drunk the rain that often falls on it and produces a crop useful to those for whose sake it is cultivated receives a blessing from God. But if it bears thorns and thistles, it is worthless and near to being cursed and in its end to be burned. Though we speak in this way, yet in your case, beloved, we feel sure of better things, things that belong to salvation. For God is not unjust as to overlook your work and the love that you have shown for his name in serving the saints, as you still do. And we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness to, the, to have the full assurance of hope until the end, so that you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. So my family is borrowing a, um, a vehicle from my relatives right now, and it's a huge blessing. It's, uh, maybe you saw it out, out front. We drove in it today. It's not a Corvette. It's not a Rivian SUV. It's a well-worn and dependable uh, RAV4. And uh, uh, there's some things about that, though. It, uh, it has a salvage title. It's been in a collision. It has a couple warning light sensors that are always on. 
Uh, the low tire light's on, the airbag light is on all the time. <laughs> and, um, and we even have to put motor, motor oil in it every time we fill up. We have to put a little bit of motor oil in it because there's an internal, internal leak in the, the engine. So it's a huge blessing, but there are a few imperfections with it. And I took the RAV4 to work on the sermon a bit at Cultivate a couple of weeks ago. And as I was leaving Cultivate, um, I, um, there's a little dip in the, in the road by the parking lot and going onto the road. And the, the hitch that we had put on um, just bumped the, bumped the road. And I was like, ugh. And so I kept driving, started driving. I was listening to a book and, uh, and then I heard something. I was like, what is that? So I, I turned down the book and I was trying to listen to it and it was just this faint little screech. And I kept, I kept driving and I, I even turned the wheel to the right, turned the wheel to the left. And I was like, ah, I, don't, I don't really think it's anything. I even slowed down. And as I slowed down, the, the, um, the sound went away. And I was like, ah, maybe it's a hitch. I scraped something. Maybe a piece of plastic is scraping. Maybe the brakes are wearing, but maybe it's something. with. I didn't know, but I was not impressed by this tiny little faint screech, this, this squeak I, I heard. So I, I kept driving. I drove 20 blocks. And then I was like, ah, there's the I-17. Well, I think I might have maybe one minute before I'm late to pick up the kids from school. So I pulled off of the road. I stopped. I got out of the car. I walked around, and there was this giant screw sticking out of the tire, and the tire was flat. My back tire was completely flat. The sound was the tire rubbing on the, on the wheel well for like 20 blocks. And so if you can imagine, I, if I would have continued, if I would have got on the I-17 at high speeds, that tire could have ripped off. It could have been some major accident. Um, but that screech was a warning that kept warning me of something happening. Are there times, um, have you seen warnings or, or heard of warnings? Maybe you were driving down the road, you saw a do not yield uh, or a yield sign or a do not enter sign. Maybe your grandparents, like mine, said don't eat so many popsicles or you'll, you'll turn into a popsicle. But uh, just so you know, uh, you can eat 20 popsicles and you won't. You won't turn into a popsicle. But don't, don't tell my kids. And, uh, and uh, another one I tell my kids is, please don't touch the stove top because you might get burned. And that's actually one I've had to learn a few times my, on my own experience. So. Um, so usually these warnings are meant to keep us from harm or they're meant to keep us focused on being pro- productive in some form of another. So... Today, the, the, the service, what's the, the big idea of these passages that the Lord's brought me to is that we are, and it might be up here on the, on the screen here, yeah, we are warned about walking away from Christ, but also assured of our salvation by persevering in Christ. In other words, our salvation has been bought through the eternal death and resurrection of Jesus. We are warned about rejecting or walking away from this belief in Christ and returning to a life of dead works. The author of Hebrews encourages those listening to mature into Christ's knowledge and discernment, persevering in the belief and assurances of being once and forever saved through Jesus. So they can be divided into three parts. The first, the first part we're going to be looking at is, I call it the diagnosis Looking outside Jesus' completed work of salvation dulls our hearing of God's truth, okay? Part two, the prognosis, believing in our works to earn God's favor leads to a wasted life. 
And three, the, the final section here, the assurance. The love we show to others is evidence of our gratitude and perseverance in Christ's complete atonement for our sins. So let's look at that, that first part, that, that part one. It comes from verses 11 through 14, and I'll, I'll read those again here. That's what we'll be focusing on. About this, we have much to say, and it's hard to explain, since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Can anyone tell me what a diagnosis is or give me an example of a diagnosis? I know I'm making you work this morning. What's that? Naming the issue, yeah. Good, very good. So yeah, cancer would be a, a, a diagnosis, yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Good. Yeah, so um, diagnosis in the medical field here, I, I wrote that a diagnosis refers, like Bethany said, to the nature or an illness of a problem uh, by the examination of symptoms. And a diagnosis gives a reason for an undesirable or problematic state, which is usually a mental or more often a physical reason for which people will seek help. And last week, I took my wife to the ER for some abdominal pain. Um, and thank you again to everyone that's helped, helped us through that time. I appreciate that. So, um, but it was the job of the staff there to kind of figure out what was causing the abdominal pain. It could be kidney stones, like my wife said. Um, uh, thankfully, they didn't find any cancer. <laughs> so, um, but uh, it could have, you know, there's lots of stuff happening in the abdomen. There's the kidneys, the spleen, the appendix. Could have been anything. Um, but uh, some sensitivity to a food. So figuring out what is causing the symptoms of the pain and treating the underlying diagnosis um, is important as, a, as a, opposed to just treating the symptoms, which can lead to true and uh, lasting healing. So we have just read in these passages uh, that those listening were suffering from a symptom. The scripture says they have become dull of hearing. Dullness of hearing is a symptom of something deeper happening in their faith. The author of the book of Hebrews has been referred to as a pastor by some biblical scholars due to his closeness with the people he is writing to, his knowledge and insight to what they need to hear, and his heart for them to persevere in Christ during this period of great suffering and persecution of the church. Remember that it is a letter to a group of people that the author knew well. He has seen this change in them over a period of time, and he knows they weren't always dull of hearing. They once were able to learn and understand, but that has changed. Did they not get sleep last night? Do they need more Cultivate coffee? It's not that. It's something much deeper. Something has begun to change in their heart. The desire and ability to know Christ and grow in his truths has been dulled. The beginning of this section starts with the words, about this, which refers to previous verses in 7 and 10, and they help us to know what the readers weren't able to understand. So let's read those together, 7 through 10. During the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with fervent cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. 
and he was heard because of his reverent submission. Son, though he was, he learned obedience from what he suffered, and once made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him, and was designated by God to be the high priest in the order of Melchizedek. And as Chris spoke last week in Hebrews, uh, the author that wrote this book gave evidence for how Jesus is the better priest. He walked us through how the Bible shows us Jesus fulfilling the role of high priest, having become the perfect sacrifice and became a source of eternal salvation through his submission and obedience through death and resurrection. This was what was hard to explain because those hearing had become dull of hearing. In the NIV translation, dull of hearing refers to, refer, reads as they no longer try to understand. The problem wasn't intellectual, but rather a change that had begun in their hearts. So what changed in the hearts of the Hebrews? I believe we were given insight to what was going on in their hearts in chapter 10, verses 33 through 34. We're going to read a lot of scripture today. <laughs> Uh, so 10, 33 through 34 reads, Sometimes you were publicly exposed to insult and persecution. At times you stood side by side with those who were so treated. You suffered along with those in prison and joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property because you knew that you yourselves had better and lasting possessions. See, persecution from the Jewish and Roman authorities was a daily reality. This persecution made life for early Christians extremely difficult with the fear of death as a daily reality. Many, if not all, would be tempted to turn away from Christ's teaching back to the law and prophetic writings. Returning to believing the Messiah had not yet come weighed heavy on, their, on this group of people. And I believe it's why Hebrews was originally written. It's to encourage them to persevere in their faith through the ongoing persecutions. This was a deeper diagnosis happening in the hearts of the believers. And they were asking themselves, do I continue believing in the obedience of Christ for my salvation and righteousness with God? Or do I turn back trusting in my own works to make me right with God? Do I just return to the hope and my ability to follow the commandments in what we know as the Old Testament to be that which will save me? or make me right with God, and avoid persecutions from the Jewish and Roman authorities. In their heart, they asked, is it worth it? This is the culture they were in and the questions and fears set before them. And the scripture goes on to say, they should be teachers, but they still need to be taught. They should be eating solid food, but still need milk and cannot yet eat solid food. Milk is not only good for babies to drink, but necessary as they do not have the ability to eat solid food. Can adults live off milk? Maybe, but that's not the point. The point is that there are basic principles to understand. There is so much more that God wants us to know and be able to teach to others. And milk is the necessary basics of Christianity, but there is so much more about salvation in verses 7 through 10 that he wants them to understand about salvation through Christ alone. In the case of the Hebrews, the inability for them to understand goes hand in hand with their ongoing maturity in Christ. What he is saying is that the hearers' growth in Christ has been stunted and they don't have the ability to grasp the more complex teachings of Christ. 
And additionally, the hearers were still not able to discern good from evil. The good from evil he could have been referring to includes the understanding that their salvation was found in Christ alone. Not by them needing to do anything to earn their salvation as they were taught through following the law of Judaism. All right, so part two, uh, we'll read this again. Believing in our good works, or our works rather, to earn God's favor leads to a wasted life. When my tire was flat, if I kept driving, something worse could have happened. Um, Likewise, if someone was suffering from appendicitis or abdominal pain that was caused by appendicitis, it could continue to be blocked, the appendix, and they could burst, introducing large amounts of bacteria into our intestines and the surrounding areas, causing an intense infection, threatening someone's life. And the next section of Scripture looks at the progression of a life that has fallen away from Jesus. So let's read um, chapter 6, 1 through 3. Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God and of instruction about washings, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permits. So I'm not going to spend a lot of time here, but wanted you to see that these are the basics of Christianity, which people needed to understand as distinctive and different from Judaism. Repentance from dead works speaks to turning away from the thought that somehow the good works we do add or are necessary to be saved. Faith in God speaks to what was accomplished on the cross was all we needed for salvation. Washings refers to baptism or baptisms, and that wasn't uncommon at that time as people, for people to be baptized into different faith communities as a sign of their commitment. These are concepts the author of Hebrews would have taught to this group of believers over and over, and these are the milk that he is referring to that, needs to be, that he needs to be um, feeding them as they have become dull of hearing. The next section of Scripture has been interpreted in many different ways, and it is my hope to help us understand the author's heart and intent of these next few verses. They read, For it is impossible in the case of those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift, who have shared in the Holy Spirit, and have tasted the goodness of the Word of God and the powers of the age to come, and then have fallen away to restore them again to repentance, since they are crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm and holding him up to contempt. So what's going on here? There are a few questions that need to be addressed. One, can someone turn away or reject Christ after believing? If someone turned away from Christ, can they return to belief in Christ? And finally, if a person sins too much, can they lose their faith? The passage gives many examples to make the point that we are talking about followers of Christ. Once been enlightened, tasted the heavenly gift, shared in the Holy Spirit, and tasted the goodness of the word of God, all to make the point that there are those that have believed in Jesus as their Lord and then turned their belief back to dead works as mentioned back in verse 6. The author had some people in mind, people who are Jewish, observing and having obedience to what we call the Old Testament, who then accepted Christ's sacrifice and resurrection for the forgiveness of their sins, were now turning back to believing their works were the way to forgive their sins. 
or they work to somehow prove that they had been saved or to hold on to that salvation. A few stories come to mind, examples of people walking with God and then having a change of heart away from God. There was Adam and Eve. They walked in the garden with God, and then they wanted to define what was good for themselves. So they, uh, so they ate from the knowledge of good and evil. And then there was the prodigal son, and I know that's a story, but it represented someone who grew up in a family and then chose to live by their own rules apart from their family. And then there were the Israelites who wandered through the wilderness following God, and then later they chose to create a golden calf to worship instead of God. Then there was Judas, having taken part in the ministry of Jesus with the other disciples, later giving Jesus up for money. The actions were evidence of a heart change, but they did not lose their faith like they lost their keys. They turned from trusting in God to trusting in themselves. You see, God's plan for salvation through Christ was determined before and apart from us. We cannot sin too much to lose salvation because we cannot do enough to earn or keep our salvation. The gospel, that salvation is, the gospel is that salvation is only by our belief in Christ alone to redeem us and persevering in that belief in what he has done for us through Christ. This is what the author wants us, the readers, to understand so they don't continue turning back to dead works. Now in verse four, the scripture says it is impossible to restore someone to repentance that has fallen away. The word used here is, a, is called adunatos. Adunatos can be translated as not possible or weak, such as in Romans 15.1, which reads, we who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak, uh, dunatos, weakness, and not to please ourselves. A dunatos can be translated as nearly impossible or not likely as we read in um, Mark, Luke, and Matthew here in chapter 19, verse 23 through 26. And I believe this is how Hebrews 6.4 um, should be interpreted. And Jesus said to his disciples, Truly I say to you, only with difficulty will the rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. And again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished, saying, Who then can be saved? But Jesus looked at them and said, With man, this is impossible. Adunatos, there's the word. But with God, all things are possible. Can someone who has rejected belief in salvation through faith alone in Christ, who has turned from dead works in order to try to save themselves, turn back to faith in Jesus and his perfect obedience and eternal salvation as we have been reading in Hebrews? It's not likely, nearly impossible, but with God, all things are possible. And can Jesus be re-crucified? When someone turns away and rejects the teachings of Jesus, does Jesus leave his throne and come back to earth and be re-crucified? No, Jesus cannot be re-crucified. He was crucif crucified once and for all for the sins of the world. The author gives the imagery of Jesus being re-crucified to help make the point that we would be turning our backs on Jesus and his sacrifice, holding it in contempt and saying it is not enough for salvation. A life striving for salvation apart from Jesus is wasted, as the writer goes on to say.
verses 7 through 8. For land that has drunk the rain that often falls on it and produces a crop useful to those for whose sake it is cultivated receives a blessing from God. But if it bears thorns and thistles, it is worthless and near to being cursed, and in its end is to be burned. So a life that believes in a works-based gospel goes on to produce thorns and thistles and is not able to produce a crop useful to others. Only when the belief of the sacrifice of Jesus as atoning for our sins persists in a believer can we then become useful to God in this life. All right, part three, the assurance. The love we show to others is evidence of our gratitude and perseverance in Christ's complete atonement for our sins. Have you ever hiked Camelback Mountain or Piestua Peak? I used to, I used to, no, yes, no. I used to hike Piestua quite a bit um, in my early 20s. Um, in the morning, I used to go with my, my roommate. We'd go hiking up that mountain. And it was a tough climb. It was steep. There was a lot of switchbacks back and forth up the mountain. And these passages we just discussed, to me, are much like a difficult climb. And it's not until we get to the top that we've made our way through them that the warning is over and we've reached the top. Now we're looking out at the city and all the beauty and vastness of the city below. So this third and final section reminds us of finding the rest and beauty after a difficult climb. And it can even be read as a benediction. Verses 9 through 12. Though we speak in this way, yet in your case, beloved, we feel sure of better things, things that belong to salvation. For God is not unjust as, so as to overlook your work and the love that you have shown for his name in serving the saints as you still do. And we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness to have the full assurance of hope until the end so that you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. The author calls them beloved. The tone has just changed from a warning to a moment of connection. And if you grew up watching Full House on TV, like I did, you'll remember that the father, Danny Tanner, often corrected his girls, uh, DJ and Stephanie. And once they realized that they were wrong and they would apologize and they would hug, and this is kind of how the tone has changed. We have now moved from a warning to the author using the, the term beloved to letting them know they are loved. He says that God will not overlook their work and, and love that they have showed to the saints. He is connecting their work as evidence of their faith. These are good works as opposed to the dead works which he warns them in the previous verses. If it wasn't clear earlier, he says this at the end. It is through faith and patience that we inherit the promises. What promises? The, pro the promises of eternal salvation, not by striving through dead works, but only through Jesus and his obedience to suffering. The work we do as a response to our faith in Jesus comes from gratefulness to God, as mentioned in verse 10 and cannot add or take away from salvation. Salvation is assured through faith and patience as we endure until the end. Now, faith and works are written about at length in the book of James. And it's not a mistake that the book of James follows right after Hebrews in the Bible. 
So James talks a lot about how works and faith are connected. So let's read James chapter 2, verse 26. For as the body... For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead. The book of James is not that we need to add works, but it is an outpouring of the work Jesus is doing in our lives as a grateful response to what Jesus has done. Hebrews 6, 11 through 12 summarize what I think is the heart of the author through the book of Hebrews. He encourages them to persevere in the belief in the atoning work of Jesus through faith They patiently love, serve, and endure persecution for the gospel of Jesus. So have you become dull of hearing? Have you been striving to win God's favor through the activities you take part in or the routines you keep? Have you been trying to keep up appearances and not fall out of favor with God? At times we all become dull of hearing and our understanding of who God is What he has done, who we are, and what we get to do becomes difficult to hear under the weight of deadlines, late nights, financial pressures, and health issues. We attempt to save ourselves with work and action instead of resting in the finished work of Christ. Our attention and allegiance, and mine included, turns to addictive messaging of videos all over social media and the news. And we are surrounded by messages that try to convince us to save ourselves apart from Christ. Remember that with man, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. God can restore people through repentance. And we must continue to remember to pray for people who are believing in how they act or what they do for God to forgive them of their sins and turn back to him. The gospel is simple to hear but can be difficult to comprehend. But it matters. It eternally matters. Jesus has already died in your place to take the wrath we deserve for our sins. And you are freed up in the power of the Holy Spirit to live a life of grateful obedience to that truth. Communion reminds us that Jesus has been crucified once and for all. And we are reorienting our attention back to that. We are reminded that because of our sin, we have been separated from God and do not deserve to be in his presence. But because of the shed blood of Jesus, God's only son, we are welcomed into God's family through the righteousness of Christ, forgiving us of our sins and allowing us entry into God's kingdom. So we're going to join together in saying the mystery of our faith as it appears on the screen. And then there is bread and gluten-free cracker option on the side table, I believe, uh, and juice to dip the bread and cracker in. And after you have taken communion, we will continue worshiping through song. So let's, let's read this together. Christ has died, Christ is risen, and Christ will come again. <laughs>